Welcome to the Founder Podcast, where we explore the journeys of some of the most successful and inspiring entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Chris Lee, a serial entrepreneur with a passion for building and growing businesses. Throughout my career, I founded multiple nine-figure businesses and learned a thing or two about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. I want to share those lessons with you by searching out the coolest guests on planet Earth and have them share their own incredible stories. But this podcast, it's not just for entrepreneurs. It's for anyone that's looking to be inspired by these stories of people who have overcome incredible odds and create something truly remarkable. So join me on this journey as we explore the fascinating world of entrepreneurship and meet the founders that are shaping it today. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody, we want to welcome Mr. Dan Caldwell to the podcast. Uh, super excited to have him on here. Dan is a freaking rock star entrepreneur, uh, was, was the founder of a, uh, I don't know if I would call it a childhood brand. It was more of like when I was like early 20s teenager, which was super, super rocking. The, the founder, founder of Tap Out, really excited uh, to get to know Dan a little bit better today, have him share his story. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I want to hear your story. I hope you, at some point you're going to interview yourself uh, on your podcast so I can hear the whole story about how you're taking over the world. Oh, dude, we're going to, we'll get to that sometime. I guess we, you know, with this, you just want to keep it a good uh, discussion. It can be about you. We can, we can have, you know, talk about pretty much anything. I like to, uh, you know, uh, Talk about founders and what what made them tick, what makes them tick, what made them who they are. But you know anything that's on your mind, what's driving you today? You know we're going to jump on into all of that. So, um, dude, Dan. So for those those that don't know your story, dude, tell us about Mr. Dan Caldwell. Yeah. So I mean, I grew up in San Bernardino. Um, I I I think I always felt like I was an entrepreneur, but eventually. Um, I took a class in high school on law enforcement and decided I wanted to become a police officer. And so I kind of veered off. I went from, from being, you know, thinking I'm going to be an entrepreneur, starting a business. You know, I was, I was, I was skipping high school. I was skipping classes so I could go interview different entrepreneurs. I would drive out to the beach and walk into some guy's store that I had realized he was the owner and I'd, I'd kind of talked to him about, you know, how'd you start your business? And so I always thought I was going to be an entrepreneur until I heard this law enforcement thing. And I thought, you know, chasing bad guys and car chases and, uh, you know, getting in fights. And I thought this is, the, this could be the best job in the world. So I thought <laughs> I would try that out. So I put myself through the Academy and became, um, and while I was in the Academy, I took on this job as a security officer at a high school and, I, my partner, who's also a security officer at the high school, um, uh, we just kept talking and became best friends. And that was my friend Charles, who one day came to me and said, hey, there's this show called the Ultimate Fighter, Ultimate Fighting Championship, where these guys are going to fight to like the death or something, you know, no rules. And, uh, and we knew as police officers, that was important to what we were doing. So we set up, you know, hey, we got to watch this thing. So we watched it and we were blown away. We could not believe what was going on on the show, but it was like police work. You know, cops is on at the time and I'm watching this stuff. And I'm like, this is just like police work. You know, you get, you grab a guy, you take him down to the ground, you try to get him, you know, subdued. And this is exactly what this guy, Hoist Gracie, was doing. 
So we saw this guy, Hoist Gracie, beat, you know, I don't know, uh, three or four guys in, in the first Ultimate Fighting Championship. And so we decided to look him up and found out that he had this school in Torrance, California. So the next week, literally the next week, while we were still in the academy, we drove down to Torrance on a Saturday because we had classes during the week. And we drove down on a Saturday and, and started taking classes with Royce Gracie. And, uh, and then ultimately realized we saw how much money these guys were making selling t-shirts. And we thought, why can't we do something like that? And of course, we had no idea. We, we don't know anything about making t-shirts. We were not in the t-shirt printing business. We had no idea how that worked. But we knew it was a good idea, so we just started. Um, we just started from ground zero. Like we're gonna we're gonna go to these little tiny jujitsu events and small MMA events that they were starting to have at the time that were still illegal in California. But we'd go to these little events and we would set up a little tiny table. I mean, that video of us like four shirts all folded up in squares and like two hats sitting on top of them because there wasn't any enough room. And we would try to sell our goods there. And it started out gotta, really small. You got to send me over a couple of those pics. We got to feature that on here, you know, from, oh, from yeah. those. Yeah. What, uh, oh, what, year sure. was, what year was this that this was all taking place? So this is like, uh, so I, I, I became, I think I got hired in 1993 and we started the, the company in around 1997, conceptually, you know, getting the drawings together, trying to figure out how we were going to make stuff. Um, we got our first, but what was crazy was right out the gate, we got an ultimate fighter because, I mean, we got a, Uf, uh, 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 a UFC guy. So because we knew a lot of the people that were in the space and we had met this manager who knew this other manager who happened to have a bunch of UFC guys. And we just saw the opportunity there. And it was like, we didn't have a lot of money and we just gave him a call and we said, hey, do you think, you know, you have some fighters fighting in the UFC? Um, and he said, I happen to have a couple great fights coming up. Um, Pat Militich, who's gonna be fighting for the, for the Ultimate Fighting Championship belt. And then also Jeremy Horn, who's fighting a really tough guy from Brazil. And we were big fans of Jeremy Horn because he was a big jujitsu guy. So we were been watching Jeremy a little bit in different fights of his. And uh, so we, he, I think he, I want to say he charged us about 2,800 bucks or 2,500 bucks. And it which was like, I know it seems like nothing today, but uh, it felt like, like a lot, lot of money when you don't have any. Oh yeah, because we're living to our means, you know. We're we're like we're getting paid nothing as police officers, hardly, and you know, yeah, we, we have to drive a nice car. So he's driving a badass, souped-up Mustang that he, you know, a Cobra that he put exhausts on and uh, aluminum uh, heads and all. You know, this thing's all souped up, and I'm driving this badass twin turbo RX-7. You know, living to the last dollar, till you have like no money left, and. Uh, but you know that's that's you are not getting paid a lot either to risk our lives put our lives out there but i i think that uh you know it's it just we had, we had to figure out how to scrape 2500 and ultimately we figured out that we were going to just put it on a credit card we couldn't so you what, know kind how of, what kind of what kind of money were you making as a police officer oh gosh um i want to say i was getting paid around 20 bucks an hour 
right around that neighborhood. So 20, yeah, 20 bucks an hour is 40 grand a year and 40 grand a year in California, right? Like doesn't go anywhere, let alone you're paying state income tax, you're paying all these things and you got to scrape up 2,500 bucks to get this sponsorship with this guy. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So you said you ended up putting it on a credit card? Yeah, you know, you could get, you know how that really high interest rate, you could like pull cash off your card and, <laughs> and you know, but you do what you got to do. And we just, it was something that we just kind of, we didn't know we could, I think at that time, we just didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know we shouldn't, it shouldn't work or, you know, that we should <laughs> fail. We didn't even understand the concept of failure. Like we should fail. We want to fail. Like it's a it's a smart concept to look back now and go, failure is what made us. But I didn't want to fail because in our line of business, if you fail, you're dead. So failure is not an option. So we always thought of failure as like that's not an option, but doing is an option. And we have to do. We understood doing because you know you don't have a choice in in law enforcement you know you got a you know, alarm going off in a building a broken window you're going in there's two of you guys and you're going in gun out and there's nobody else there's nobody coming to save you you have to go in there and do that that's our line of business so we understood the concept of we have to do we have to go make it happen but didn't understand the concept of failure really. Like it's a good thing. We understood failure. Like there's no way we can fail. We can't fail. We got to make this work, especially as we start to spend a lot of money and we're trying to figure out how we don't want to lose the money. You know, we have all this money invested now of our own money. Credit cards are racked up, you know, 20,000 bucks. That's back when they give you, you know, you couldn't afford it. You shouldn't, they shouldn't be giving you 20 or $30,000 credit cards, but of course they do. And uh, we're maxing them all out, trying to keep, you know, the business afloat. Yeah, you know, that's that's always a scary time in business. In fact, uh, my first business that uh, you talk about failing, my first business that did fail, uh, you know, uh, things that you're sharing right now are like eerily, like reminding me of like times that we had to max out credit cards to make payroll. You know, it, uh, you know, fortunately, um I didn't go and get a cash advance on my credit card, but I found out I found a buddy that would actually run my credit card through his business and cash me out whatever the the difference was in in like the three percent fee, and uh, yeah, use that to cover payroll. Man, those those early times of being an entrepreneur when you're just scraping by and you're and uh, you know it's it's interesting because I think a lot of times entrepreneurs the reason why we're successful is because we're a little bit stupider than other people. You know, like just stupid enough to do things like maxing out your credit card and taking risks that don't make any sense at all. And it doesn't add up. Uh, at least at least that's what I've found is like I, I'm, I'm just dumb enough to take a risk. Yeah, I was. I Yeah, I mean, we're totally stupid. That's that's exactly why we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know we shouldn't. This shouldn't work. None of this should work. Whatever we're doing should not work. You have no money. You're starting a business. You're building this company. I mean, honestly, at the beginning, we didn't really see the biggest vision. We thought we knew the UFC was going to be big and we knew this sport because everybody we told it to every time we would show it to them. Like if I come over to your house and I go like, hey, there's this thing on tonight. We should get it. And we would go watch it. And I actually did this with like law enforcement buddies of mine. And we watched the very first. I can remember I was at a friend of mine's house. Um, 
Jason, and we went to his house to watch the first UFC that we actually had our clothes in there. And I wasn't even with my partner because he was someplace else. And I was working. I was just getting off work. So I had to go straight from the office to this guy's house. And we were watching the first UFC. And he watched that thing. And he could not believe what was going on in the ring. You know, nobody, anybody who watched it couldn't believe it. And they all recognized it, too, as being, you know, for law enforcement, we recognized it. You have early adopters like John McCarthy, who was a ref in the early UFCs. Um, he was, you know, worked for LAPD. So those we knew as law enforcement, this was going to be this was something there's something to do with this with law enforcement. This is going to be big in law enforcement. Like they're going to all police officers at some point are going to have to learn this. So what, what would you say like initially drove you? Was it like the passion for the sport? Was it the idea that uh, you could make money as an entrepreneur? Was it doing something else besides being a police officer? Like what, what drove you in those early days to take all those stupid risks? I think it was honestly, I mean, I just have to say it was probably almost all the above. Like, we, you know, you're not making a lot of money. So we're trying to figure out what is every cop out there has. Ask any law enforcement buddy of yours. They all have a side hustle. Every single one of them. Some of them are making them. I know one guy who's making those little beanbag tossers, you know, that you try to get in the hole. And, you know, somebody else is making tables. Another guy, he's, he's, he's doing a, a, a Turo business. You know, all, every law enforcement officer. Another, another guy's in with the local drug dealer getting paid on the back yeah, end. Yeah, hopefully they're not doing that, you know. They're, that's the, that's the one. But it, it's honestly what causes guys to do that, you know. It's like, I mean, of course, you know, we didn't – I mean, I wouldn't – I that's the worst crime in the world is, a, you know, an officer who betrays his, you know, dirty cop and betrays his people. But, um, but at the end of the day, that's why they're dragged into that because – you know, it's like teachers, you know, they teachers and law enforcement officers, they have those two, those two people should be paid more. And, you know, there's not a lot we can do about that. But if, you know, if I can ever vote for a bill where that, that we can allocate some money away from the politicians and, and towards the teachers and law enforcement, that's exactly what I would do. I, um, I agree but, with you. I, I was actually a victim of, uh, uh, you know, childhood uh, labor uh, because my, my dad was a school teacher. You know, and so we, we had the rule growing up in our household by the age of 12, you had to take care of all your stuff besides underwear and food on the table. Like you want to close shoes, uh, go out, gas in the car, a car, whatever. Right. Like we, we had to go and we had to make it happen. And so, you know, I got my first job when I was nine years old because uh, old Chuck Lee, my dad, he. Yeah, it wasn't getting paid enough as a school teacher, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So, you know, we <laughs> we we had to learn the the art of the side hustle very early on. That's a that's a great idea. I I I, I somewhat did that with my own kids too. It's the same exact thing, you know. But start a business and have them work it. You got to work in the business if you're gonna if you're gonna pay your way here in the family. Love it, love it. So. Yeah, so you were, I mean, you were just driven on on a, a bunch of different things. Like, what was it, what was the turning point for your business? And I've heard this story before, and it's actually, like, one of my favorite things about you is just, like, the hustle that ultimately led to, like, the tipping point. Um, in fact, like, what what was the timeline of, like, when you started until, like, the tipping point finally hit? Well, I think, um, I mean, I, I think you're talking about the, you know, the story with the ultimate fighter. Um, but that's ultimately what changed our business because it changed the UFC too. the UFC was 
it was if they were putting a lot of money into it, well when the zufa um purchased the ufc which was uh lorenzo fertita frank fertita and dana white when they purchased the ufc in 2001 we were already sp sponsoring fighters and somewhat in the ufc they were giving us a little bit of love we were in their video game so it was kind of exciting to us because we were having these small wins along the way we're getting these little wins along the way and it's pushing us because you know tap outs all of a sudden in this video game uh, the Dreamcast video game, tap outs on this new fighter that just came out and he knocked some guy out, you know, tap out. We're getting a lot of interest, but we were so much the mouse in front of the flashlight. We just, the money, we weren't making a ton of money. And, yeah. and, and in some ways, I mean, we got to, in the early 2000s, we were making over a million dollars, uh, several million dollars, but every penny, we're self-capitalized business. So every penny was going into capitalizing the business and the, You've never done that. I'm sure you understand this, but you know, as you're, we had inventory. So as you have to build this company and you have to put more money into inventory, um, all the money that you're making, you're having to put back into inventory. So you're not really making money or at least you're making money, but it's not in your pocket. It's sitting on the shelves out in the warehouse. So we had this little tiny warehouse and um, in 2005, they decided that we heard that they were going to do this television show, which was kind of big for us. Um, we knew this would this was going to be somewhat like we knew something was going to change because of this. You know, we're going to be on TV now instead of just pay per view. Everybody's going to be able to see this. Right. So that was great for us because we could tell people tune in and watch this. You'll see what this UFC stuff's all about. So we were. I was driving. I had. I was living in this small condo. I was driving down to San Diego. And I get this call from my partner who says, Chuck Liddell just called. He said they're starting to film The Ultimate Fighter right now. He just got his place in, in Vegas, and we need to leave for Vegas right now, today. And I said, I'm on my way to San Diego. I don't, I'm, I'm going down there with the family to SeaWorld right now, <laughs> you know? Like, what year um, was I'm this? Sure. What year this was this? 2005. 2005. Okay, so so we're talking, you started this thing in 1997, 2005, you guys are, you guys are starting to make some money. You, you got, you got some revenue coming in, but it's all going back to recapitalize the business, continue to grow. At, at what point did you drop, drop out of the police force? I, I, in two, I want to say 2003, I, I left for good in 2003. Okay, so, so six years of just straight side hustle weekends nights mornings like lunch breaks whatever whatever it was to to making this thing happen you know a lot of a lot of people don't realize like this is the this is the underlying of what happens right most people look at guys like yourself uh myself or other people that have had nine figure ten figure eleven figure exits right uh you know the the elon musk of the world or or whatever and and they think like it just everything lined up for them. They put in you know a little bit of effort. They got some financiers. They got you know some seed funding, Series A, Series B, whatever. Went public. Got all these. Uh, got paid out big time. You know they ne they never see the the actual like and understand the real details of of six years of side hustle, and then. And then another two years of doing it full time and really just operating at a break even, you know, maybe uh, having a good job, but not really a, a great business. And so, I, I don't know, I, I just want to 
people to focus on like that, right? Like how much deep roots you were sending down for before anybody saw what was happening with the tree or with the bamboo shoots, right? Like, I mean, it was just roots, 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 roots for a long time. Um, so I, I think that's, that's so cool. So, so you get this call, Chuck Liddell, uh, from your partner, Chuck Liddell's up in Vegas. They're going to be filming this show. You're down, you, you have every excuse in the world not to go up there, right? You're, you're with your family. Um, hey, we'll do it later, whatever, right? Like there's always going to be another opportunity. Okay. So, so take us there. Yeah. I mean, I think you were so on point. I think what, you know, and just in the bigger picture, if I step back, that's the difference of what separates people, you know, successful entrepreneurs. Most of the time, it's just the fact that you're willing to keep going. Um, you know, that you're six years in, seven years in, eight years in, seeing progress, but not the type of progress that you, you know, had dreamed about and you keep going. And at this moment, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I could go to SeaWorld with my family. I, you know, our bags are packed. That's, that was our day. Um, or I'm actually going to have to tell my little daughter that we have to turn around halfway down there and go back. And um, I'm probably, daddy's going to be gone now for, uh, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Right. And that's what I had to do. And I, I turned back around and got home. I had to go straight to the, we had a small warehouse at like 1900 square feet or maybe 2200 square feet. And I had to go grab all the clothes, get them all ready. My partner met me there. We jump in the car and we dr start driving to Vegas. It's four or five hour drive. We get to Vegas and we ended up sleeping on uh, Chuck Liddell had this apartment and we just, uh, you know, we didn't have the money really. I mean, we were making so little money, you know, so much money was on the shelves that we were just paying ourselves enough to pay our rent. We were like, write a check for the rent, write a check for some groceries and that's it. You know, everything else we had to figure it out. You know, my, his girlfriend's working, my girlfriend's working, my, you know, girlfriend's working and we're put just being able to try to get by and so we're sleeping on chuck liddell's couch we're washing he just he's he's one of the coaches for the ultimate fighter so he's going in there every day so we want to make sure he's got tap out shirts ready and um we would go in the middle of the night we would we found out where the where they were doing the 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 show we kind of tricked Chuck had been telling us where, uh, I mean, he wanted to tell us, but you know, we, we can't let him know. We can't let the UFC know that he just gave it up. So we, he told us where the gym was going to be. And so we decided to start going to the gym every night at like 1 PM or 1 AM. And you know, those little like slots where they have, where you put your mail in on the side of the door there, yep. we would shove like 10 shirts in there and a couple hats and a couple pairs of shorts every night. Um, and just praying that one day this is going to get to a fighter somehow. We didn't know how. We didn't know if. We didn't know what. We just hoped that, you know, it would pay off down the road. And um, we would go home and we, we part of us staying there, we wanted to wash. So when Chuck was out filming, we would wash all of his clothes for him. And um, he, he, I don't know if he knows yet, but because we never told him, but we would only pretty much wash his tap out stuff. So he'd be left with like Pitt, where, which was his gym um, with his, his partner Hackleman. And then um, we would wash his tap out stuff. So that's all he would have to wear when he went into the show. 
And so when you ask the producers today, they'll still tell you there was no tap out in the first Ultimate Fighter. But if you watch it, you'll see there was because that's what we were doing, you know. And then a few months later, what happened is so they did these fights in the Ultimate Fighter where they keep fighting to try to get to the end. And then at the end of the show, the two coaches um, are going to fight. And... um, they uh and then they have all the five all the guys who were in the ultimate fighter are going to fight and so these two so during so one day for the show the the coaches didn't fight on the same day but they had the show at the las vegas um uh university out there and uh the university of las vegas and that's where they held the event and we just we didn't really know exactly what the event was what was the event was going to be like, but we knew it was going to be televised and we wanted to sponsor the event, but we didn't have enough money to sponsor it. So they let us give them clothes to sell at the event. The UFC did just so that we could pay for the sponsorship. And so we, before, before you go, before you go into this, let's, let's recap. So, yeah. So you're, you're in Vegas or, and you're just hustling, right? You're, you're shoving t-shirts and and shorts through through a freaking mail slot at night. You're you're sleeping on the ground, sleeping in your car. You're going you're going into Chuck Liddell's laundry, doing his laundry for him, which by the way is just a principle of like how to network and how to add value, right? Like if you want something from somebody, like go and add as much value as you possibly can. Like the fact that you know, this guy didn't want to be doing his own laundry, right? And like he's he's got these guys that are, you know, that he likes. He likes he likes Dan and his partner, and uh, and they're willing to do his laundry for him. He's like, sure, why not, right? But then the ingenuity of like, dude, let's only make sure that he has clean tap out clothes. And and I think, dude, that right there, I've remembered that part of the story. And you know, Dan told me the story a few years back when we first met. And and I was just like, dude, that's freaking phenomenal. It is the that is the epitome of entrepreneurial ingenuity hustle, right? Like it it's like grit with some smarts and just just willing willing to get it done, you know. And and all these little things, all these little wins that you're doing along the line is ultimately what leads to this moment that you're about about to share, which I'm super stoked about. So so we're you know they're they're about to air this big fight, right? You can't afford to to pay for the sponsorship, but they allow you to sell some T-shirts. So you're going to get your name out there a little bit. What what happens next? You know, I mean, it, we had a lot riding on this because we, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into this, trying to make sure that this was, you know, making sure we always made sure, though, that we were, you know, is in every place that we could be um, and that we knew this big event was going to go on. So we just knew something special was going on when we got there because um, we had it. So there were so many people in the crowd wearing our stuff and this guy, Diego Sanchez, who was going to be fighting, they made him wear ultimate fighter stuff, but we had our two logos on the mat and we had logos on the sides and we had their parents wearing the stuff and we could, we could see them on the, on the big broadcast uh, video screen. They kept showing their parents you know, of the fighters, because that was kind of, you know, these guys were about to fight. And so as they came in, they wanted to see the reactions from their parents, especially even as they were fighting. And they had our tap out stuff on. And we're like, 
all over this thing. And we're sitting next to Chuck Liddell. And um, when the Stefan Bonner fight happened with Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, which is still considered one of the best fights in UFC history. Um, at one point, these guys are like, they're throwing leather and they're putting everything on the line. And at one point, Dana White walks back and he says, he tells Chuck Liddell, there's 10 million people watching this event right now. Well, the UFC. 10 million. 10 million. And in pay-per-view, they were only getting, you know, maybe a few hundred thousand views on their pay-per-view shows at that time. Wow. But to have on television, the mainstream audience who really didn't, may not be um, totally into the UFC, but they were liking what they were seeing because that's why 10 million people are watching right now. And, uh, and, and so not just that, but what we didn't know was at home, I, my, my uh, parents are texting me and they're going, they're putting your logo on the television. Well, I didn't understand what that meant until later I watched the broadcast. And, you know, when they do that, it just shows them bought to you by Budweiser, uh, you know, the King of Beers. Well, that's what they were doing for us. We're like on there and they're saying this show's been brought to you by Top Out at InYourFace.com. Go check them out for the best oh, fight here on. Say the know. URL once, once again. I love I love this. What, what was your URL, your original URL? So it's inyourface.com. That was inyourfacecapout.com yeah. at the time. Somebody it, else out. Was it spelled Y-A or in your web? Yeah. It was so stupid because, you know, if you're trying to help people find your website, this is probably the worst name on the planet. But it was <laughs> I-N-Y-A-F-A-C-E.com. That was our site. But Oh, I love that. Um, so about... Um, right towards the end of the fight, my web guy calls me and he goes, what the heck is going on, man? And I, I, I could barely hear him because the fight's going on. I'm going, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he's going, your site is shutting down. Like there's so many orders coming in right now. There's 3000 orders a minute coming in right now. A minute. Three or, I'm sorry. An hour. Oh, <laughs> 3000 orders an hour coming in right now. And it's happening so fast. Back then, you know, you're talking 2005, they didn't have gateways that could support that. Um, at least we didn't have the gateway that could support that. So he said, I've literally had to stop the processing and all we can do is capture the credit card numbers. Oh. So I said, do whatever you got to do. And I'm telling Charles what's going on and the electricity in that room and then Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin fight. That became Hold on, uh, time out. For, for listeners that don't understand what Dan just shared, he said, so... The credit cards actually weren't processing, okay? Which which means when when something processes, it automatically happens by the computer. It checks if they have the balance. It hits, you know, so so on and so forth. All they were able to do at this point, it because the basically the website had been shut down, was capture the credit card information. So there was nothing being processed. There was nothing, and, and so. It, essentially what had to happen at that point was like you had to go back and manually process every one of these right yeah we one at a time just manually on those you know those credit card machines the little square boxes that just has the punch it in phone number pad that's that's how we had to process every single credit card after oh my that goodness. which were how, thousands and thousands and thousands of orders so how many orders came in that first night just when you I, I i honestly i wish i could tell you but i don't even know i just know it was thousands and when we got back over the next 
weeks, um, we had so many orders that we we had to shut off the um, we well we didn't have an inventory program. So you figure most people now today everybody's got an inventory program. Well, at that time shopping carts were like built. You had to build these things. Yeah. And they didn't really have a, we didn't really have an inventory program. So unfortunately, all the stuff that people were ordering we didn't have in stock. <laughs> so none of it was in our warehouse, or you, most of it was. You mean your tw your twenty two hundred square foot warehouse didn't have thousands and thousands of orders? No. And so <laughs> we ended up. I I called. I mean, we're doing. We're trying to do. You know, plug all the holes on the way home. I remember driving home, talking to my. Um, I'm on multiple phones. I'm talking to my uh, web guy. I'm talking to the landlord. I'm trying to take the space next door because it happened to be empty. And so that was another 2,200 square feet. So um, I tried to take that space and the next space, but the other space wasn't ready yet. So we, as soon as we got home, we cut a hole in the wall and we took that space next door. And we had thousands of orders just leaned up against the wall waiting to be fulfilled because we couldn't fulfill them all. That is that is wild. So you go, and if I remember the story right, like you guys just continued to like any piece of space that was adjacent to your building, you guys continue to, to rack up over the next, I mean, foreseeable future, right? Oh, yeah. We, had, we were in like an industrial park, so... You know, it, it was kind of a like a built-in a sea, and it, you know, it's uh, I I can't remember exactly how much square footage we had then, somewhere close to a hundred thousand. But um, we took all the big spaces all the way around um, the the whole center until we had the whole place. And so, and ultimately, in the tap out center. So, I mean, this is this is just like I, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, and I swear I have never talk to somebody that just had such a pinnacle event, right? Like that was just so changing. But like, once again, as we talked about it, I mean, it was, it was seven year or eight years of, of work, uh, all, you know, six years employed, two years fully, uh, fully engaged in this business, right? You just doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, paying the bills, that's it. And then just smack, man, the, you know, the, you got lucky, right? Like the uh, basically all this ingenuity, all this hard work translates into this massive amounts of luck where the UFC, if, if I remember right, you, you shared that uh, they essentially aired your, your ad because they weren't able to sell ad space to anybody else and they didn't want to seem like just a, just a small little <laughs> organization. Is that right? Well, I think that early on, this is uh, that was kind of early on. So early on, you know, they needed to um, put some sponsor there, and they really liked our logo, and we were already kind of in the UFC. So I think they felt sorry for us uh, <laughs> when they first bought the uh, UFC, and they wanted, and they felt like we were kind of the grassroots marketing of of the whole space. And they they honestly came to us in two thousand one when they had their first show. And and they called us into the arena, um, Lorenzo and Dana did, and we walk into the arena. We had never seen this, and we had never had this before because um, we had just been on fighters up to that point. But when we walked into the arena, we had two huge tap-out logos on the mat, and we were blown away. We could not believe that these guys had did this for us. And so, you know, I always have to give credit to Dana and Lorenzo for helping us, you know, build. I think when you... When you're 
when you when you're relentless and you're always out there pushing and pushing and pushing and people see this in you you know they see they want your dream to come true too you know i know a lot of people preach that everybody wants to stomp on your dream they don't want you to you know be successful but i think when people see your you know the energy that you put into and how much you believe in yourself or believe in a dream people want to get behind those type of people they want to get behind the dreamers they want to be a part of that dream and i think and that's i think that's a lot why dana and lorenzo kind of took us under their wing and and uh started us off with that sponsorship and we were at that time we were paying them like three thousand dollars to be on that mat for every ufc and we would pay it in clothing we would literally give them three thousand dollars worth of clothing to sell and that's what we had to go back to because we would kind of go back and forth between giving them cash and giving them clothes when we couldn't afford because we didn't have the cash in the bank to write that check so we would go back to so for this ultimate fighter we had to go back to that because it was a little bit more at the time but we had to give them clothes for that because we didn't have the money. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love, I love that. Yeah. Definitely other people are, you know, other entrepreneurs, they want to see people that are, that are doing exactly what they did once upon a time, right. The grind, the, you know, and, and so the fact that Dana and, and those guys uh, recognize that that's, that's really so cool. And, and it wasn't just because you showed up one day or two days. It was like, you were there, year in year out grinding just doing doing the thing and like uh man and so, i think even so, as beginning entrepreneurs because in beginning entrepreneurs when i see like i see i'm excited for you chris when i see your business growing like that excites me i think even as a non-entrepreneur like people that are building a you know coaching business or a podcast or whatever that might be even if it's your first business when people see you're passionate about something, that passion is infectious. Like people want to be around people that are passionate and 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 relentless and and have a dream. They want to be around that because sometimes it helps them find their own dream. And even if they never, you know, don't even if they're not entrepreneurs, they just see people who have a dream like that and they wish that that they have a little bit of that in them. And so they're willing to follow them. They're willing to help. That's why you see guys like, you know, like Gary Vee has a story about where his cameraman, you know, gave up his time to come film him for like free for like months on end until Gary decided to hire him one day. You know, but he was just giving up his time. And that's, I think people do that because they see this dream that this person has and they just want to follow him. They want to be a part of that dream. And they're willing to do that, do whatever it takes to follow this person. And I think every entrepreneur has to know that if they if they live that every single day, if you're relentless and you and you're and you're talking about your dream all the time and you're putting it out to the world, that you'll get people that file in behind you and want to be a part of that with you. Absolutely. I love that. Love that. Dude, so from then on, I if I remember the story correctly, I mean that was really the catalyst. And then Things never slowed down from there. You guys continued to just exponentially grow from 2005 until ultimately um, you you ended up uh, exiting from the business. Was it 2008, 2009? When was it? The uh, 2010. Yeah. I mean, we were. I mean, it was always something. You always are looking for the next big thing. I mean, we have ultimately we had our TV show. We had our own show um, that we had signed for three seasons, but. Um, we only ended up doing two because unfortunately my partner got killed before we started our third season. 
Um, we had the opportunity to be in a movie like Warrior. Um, we had a, you know, we've had a NASCAR. We've had, uh, you know, we've just done, uh, you know, the things that the opportunities that this, that that having a dream has given me, and our part and my partners, you know, is like unbelievable. Like I'll, I'll never, I can't even put it into words because it just it. It's something that I never would have thought would have ever happened to a person like me coming from San Bernardino um, in the place that I grew up in. You know, I had great parents, but we lived in, we didn't have a lot of money. And for us to be able to kind of have something like this for people, and I know it happens to a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure that there's so many stories. That's why podcasts like this are so great because there's so many, every entrepreneur has a story. Like I say, every police officer has a story because every police officer could write a book from all the things that they go through. Every entrepreneur uh, has a story, has a movie in them, has a, a podcast in them, has uh, a book in them. Just because we all go through so much when we're trying to build our companies, there's so much on the line. Everything is on the line. Everything is being sacrificed sometimes. Or, you know, our, our every penny that we have, every all of our time, all of our dreams and hopes and family members sometimes, friends that walk away. I can't tell you how many friends, when we started um, Tap Out, we had other guys that were with us and they literally walked away from us. I was telling them, dude, we're about, this is about to blow up. This is coming right now. It's going to blow up. Please just give us a little more time. I can remember being on the phone with the guy, talking those words to him. And he's, uh, I can't do it no more, man. It's just taking up my time and I just don't see it. You keep saying that. Yeah, I remember him saying, you keep saying that, but nothing's happening. And from gold. And then uh, within a year, three feet from gold, exactly. Uh, there's a great little story about Howard Carter. I don't know if you know who Howard Carter is, but I was just watching a, movie, uh, uh, a documentary about um this guy, Howard Carter, that in the late 1800s, he went to um, Egypt to, you know, find some, find the riches, you know, everybody was kind of excavating Egypt at the time. And he went to Egypt um, at 17 years old with just this dream to find something. And over the next 30 years, you know, he just every day trying to find what could be the next thing. And around 2007, he had got word I mean, 2007, <laughs> 1907, he got word that um, there might be another um, king in the Valley of the Kings um, that they haven't found yet, another tomb. And he it, it, that became his dream. And everything that he did from that point on just became about how can I find this other tomb? Now, nobody believed in this guy. Nobody. Like everybody's saying... No, all the all the kings in the Valley of the Kings have been found. All the all the all the tombs in the Valley of Kings have been found. There's not another tomb out there. Where are you finding, you know, anything that says that there's more tombs out there? And but he had found little things and little clues and little things that said that there was um a little trinket that somebody found in in a dig that said that there was a King Tut out there still. And um in like 20, you know, 30 years later or 20 years later from that point, he, he, they find on one of his digs that are being financed with the last dollars that they have. Literally, this guy had told him, Lord Parnov, and he was financing and said, this is the last, last year that you're going to be able to dig. And on that last year, they're dig. Imagine they've been digging for years. He still believed in this. He kept pushing forward and they find the steps to this tomb. 
and they dig it out over the next couple months. And um, when he gets in there, they open up a small hole in there and they tell this beautiful thing that I just love what they said. I'm so much so that I just remembered it. Ooh, it gets me a little emotional when I even think about it. But he said, he goes there because Lord Carnarvon was there with him and they punch a little hole inside and, and uh, Howard Carter looks through the hole. And Lord Carnarvon, what do you see? What do you see? You know, they're both invested in this time and money, millions and millions of dollars. And he says, beautiful things, beautiful things. And I could just imagine that moment because every entrepreneur has that moment in their life. You know, like for me, that was 2005, six, when the ultimate fighter was happening. We're there watching this fight going, something special is going on here right now. This Beautiful is something things. special. Like this is going to change our lives. We didn't know how, we didn't know it was going to be that much, but we knew something special was happening. And I think you, I, I'm sure, I know you have moments in your life where those things have happened for you. And it's just unbelievable to kind of go through a life changing moment like that. But it's because you keep going. That's all you won't have them as an entrepreneur. You won't have them if you don't keep going. Yeah, my uh, my buddy Alex Ramosi, you know, he loves he loves talking about that. Like the only way that you actually fail is when you take yourself out of the game is, is what he was. He says is like when you quit, when you give up, it's it, it's as you continue to go, you keep pushing forward. It's the compound effect, really. And, you know, in, in my own career, the compound effect has been like absolutely insane because, you know, when you're when you're doubling a penny, those first five or six years of doubling a penny is, is hardly anything. Right. But when you continue yeah. to double it, right, it's the old Chinese parable of double a grain of rice in 31 days and you have enough rice to fill the world. And, uh, and, and really like those, those moments, right. Of seeing beautiful things of the 2005s and 2006s for, for tap out, you know, that my company sold in power, you know, just kind of the pinnacle of, of things of like all the work, all the sacrifice for me, like, it was the doors knocked and the failures and the and the opportunities slammed in my face that didn't didn't work out and just like constantly constantly on the grind looking for it until finally right like the stuff really compounds and then it manifests and people begin to see all the grassroots that you've been laying for so so many years right like they there was no respect for you there was no anything else you got, you know, business partners like you're talking about that are bailing out that they just can't catch the vision. Um, you know, they, they don't believe in it. Um, you know, one of, one of my, my favorite things is like, for me as an entrepreneur is, is being the evangelist and being the one that believes. And, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need, a, I, I love the definition of evangelist as, to be a true evangelist, you don't need others to believe what you believe. They just need to believe that you believe. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's always been that's always been my calling in business is like being the believer and getting other people to believe so much that I believe and getting behind the vision and the direction and everything. And so, man, it's so cool to to hear that part of your story. Now, obviously, we're talking about all the glamour, like what? 
what is a point in your career? So you've had many years since 2005 and six. What's a what's a point in your career that was like depressing? That was really hard to get through. And like, how did you learn from it? Draw on it. What uh, can you share something like that? Um, I, you know, all the we had so many. It was so many, so many times. Uh, you know, Bill. I mean, of course, my partner was killed. Was unbelievably hard. It's on uh, honestly why I decided to sell the company because we were. I just didn't want to do it anymore. You know, it was like it was a dream of ours together, and without him there, it just didn't feel the same. Uh, it, it didn't taste the same. Um, but, uh, you know, during that time in 2005, when we were, um, after the ultimate fighter and all those orders were coming through, we were only qualified for like $50,000 in credit card sales. And because we had all of a sudden started doing, you know, uh, almost a million dollars a month, um, they had canceled our, all the money coming through. And we needed that money because we didn't have any of that, that product produced. We needed that money right. to produce the goods. And so at one, I remember being on the phone with those guys trying to figure out every way possible to get them to release some of the money, just some of it, so we could start putting orders together. You know, I was like, release half of it, because if I get half of it, I can put the money, you know, I can use that money to go make the goods. But they didn't want to release none of it. And they wanted to actually hold it for like six months until they could make sure there were no chargebacks. And they, they, you know, it was such an explosion. They hadn't seen that before. So they just wanted to, to hold on to the money until they made sure it was safe. And I just remember being so like, I could not sleep. I was getting one hour of sleep a night. I was deal, trying to deal with them every day. I was trying to find other credit card companies that could take us on. None, nobody would. We didn't have great credit. And uh, I remember at one point I'd thrown all the chairs in the office out in the parking lot. And I was just, I, I mean, I, I was emotional. I, um, I was sitting on a curb and I was pretty emotional. And I called my partner. I said, I don't know, buddy. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Like, it's done. Like, we need to make goods. And all these people are going to start. You know, it's crazy how you're in the best place in your life and you're, you're contemplating quitting. That's what comes over you, you know, during the best time of your life, the best things are happening to you in your life and you're contemplating quitting. You're like, oh, we're, I, I don't know what to. And that's why it's so great, I think, to have a partner, because when you're down, hopefully they're up. And when they're down, hope, you know, hopefully you're up. And uh, he gave me some great advice. He goes, remember that guy we were talking to last week? He was a great business guy that made a bunch of money in different businesses. and. We had met him last week. He goes, he gave you his number, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, why don't you give him a call? And I give him a call. <laughs> Within like a few hours, I had the whole thing solved. He so awesome. was willing to sign for credit for us um, with, the, with the credit card company. And they released all the funds immediately. The next day, all of our money started releasing. And it fixed the whole problem. So it's just great. I think always having a partner where you can look at, you know, they can see things that you're not seeing, especially when you're in those down and out moments. And, you know, we always had moments like that. There were always never enough money. There was always, it, and it doesn't matter how big you get. It's just going to be bigger numbers. You know, it's like, there's not, you don't have $20,000. Well, down the road, you're not going to have the million dollars to make the payment. And down the road, you're not going to have the $20 million to make the payment. So I can remember writing, you know, I can remember 
$20 million coming in. I can remember $10 million going out. You know, that's those, I wouldn't even have ever thought we could do the, you know, be writing a check for 10 million bucks. You know, who just unfathomable at certain times of your business life. Um, but you just got to keep your eye on the bigger picture and stay relentless and keep pushing forward. And, and if you don't quit, like Alex Ramosi said, if you don't quit, eventually you'll be successful. Eventually you'll make it. Yeah, man. I, I love that. A um, couple things that you shared, you know, having, having a quality partner is so very imperative. Like me, I'm a partnership guy, right? Like I hate doing things alone. Yeah. Sounds like you're you're very similar based on your experience of what you've done and what you're doing right now. And, um, you know, for me, that, that business partner has been Daryl Kelly. And, and then in life, my wife, uh, Andrea, and, you know, both have, have helped me really keep that good, solid perspective. And it, it's so funny, like these these demons that we create and these big like. We think that things are unsolvable as you were talking about with like this credit card thing. And when reality there's, you know, there's a solution out there. We just haven't thought of it yet. And like, and uh, it's so very important as entrepreneurs, as just, I mean, livers of life, right? Like that we, that we remove ourselves from the situation, remind ourselves like how good we have it, like what's going good. Uh, you know, I have a good physical body, you know, God is still good. My family's good. Um, we have all these all these sales coming in for these T-shirts. We just have no idea how to process them, right? Like all the all these positive things. Like because when you when you get out of there, at least for me, and I remove myself from the negative situation, it helps me solve that at a way higher rate, and especially look for solutions yeah. outside of what I'm currently thinking. Um, just having a different perspective, which I, I loved, is what what you shared. Um, but yeah, man, that, uh, that is so, so, so important because I mean, just like you, there's so many times in my career that I just thought the world was crumbling, right? Like, oh, like I have no solution for this. I've never been through this. Um, we're done. We're it's over. I, I should quit, you know, early, early in launching our business. So, uh, it was, we launched in. Uh, October of 2017, January 2018, we get hit with a million dollar fine from the state. And, uh, you know, I think I think at that point we had like five thousand dollars in our bank account, um, oh, you know, and and, you know, we had all these sales and stuff that we were trying to get uh, get processed. Very similar to you guys, inventory problems, all, all the stuff. We get hit with this fine because of a an electrical infraction. Not only were they hitting us for actual infractions, but they they tried to hit us with a fine for every single proposal that we had given to potential customers. And oh, I, you know, I thought life was. I'd quit. I'd tell y'all right, right now. You'd have been that early in the business. I'd have quit for sure. I mean, yeah. that's it. Takes a lot to get through that. You know, yeah. Fathom million bucks at that time <laughs> i mean dude i thought we were done i was just like you know all this anxiety all this stress all in my shoulders like there was nothing i could do to in in the short term that i felt like i could do to get out of it my business partner he was stressing daryl but then like you know he came to me like the next day he's like dude i, I just feel like everything's gonna be fine we'll work through this let's get through this and you know eventually you know, we ended up fighting the state. 
and we eventually put it off, put it off, put it off. And we ended up settling like 10 months later for like an $18,000 fine. And it was like paid out $1,000 a month for the next 18 months. You know, and I, it was like it was like one of the best case scenarios of like what I initially thought it was going to be uh, putting us out yeah. of business. And so, man, it's 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 amazing. It, and, and, you know, you had this experience and we've had so many experiences like this where it's just important to, for anybody that's listening to this, that that they understand, like, just keep going. Right. Like there will always yep. be a solution. Life is too good to give up. Right. Like. Don't give up on your job. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your life. Don't give up on like, like there's so many good things that if you just have your yeah. head down, you'll figure out a solution. There's somebody out there that's going to be able to help get you through it. So um, appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Good yeah, story. there's, I think uh, when you talked about having a partner, I mean, him just telling you that probably changed your perspective a little bit. I mean, it's a, and you talking about your your wife, you know, like right now we, we we just started up our podcast again too, and you know I I I was going to do a podcast by myself, and I was and I can't I'm reaching for a partner, you know, like I'm like I'm gonna have a partner. I want to have so I I love being able to bounce things off of people, and oh, so yeah. um, when we decided to start our podcast, we were like, let's we have to do this. I I I wanted to do it together because I just I, I felt like that was. That was just my MO. And anybody who has partners in their businesses, there's some people who say, I don't want partners in my business. That's okay. You know, that's them. But for me, I'm a partner type guy. You know, it's interesting. I actually had uh, my very first business. I had a terrible experience with partnership. Um, you know, both my partners ended up being just not people I could trust. You know, mm. one after our business failed, went on to running a Ponzi scheme and ends up serving prison time. Um, just like, just some crazy, crazy partnerships, but luckily that didn't deter me from partnerships because Daryl has been an incredible business partner. We've done several different ventures together. Like I, am a, I'm a big, uh, big believer. So, um, so obviously a very tragic thing with your business partner, um, dying. Sorry. You know, I, when you first told me that story, that was, that was heartbreaking. Um, so you end up, uh, selling your business. Um, it was a it was a nine figure exit if I if I remember right. Yeah, we're uh, we're on NDAs, but it was a good exit. Yeah, it was a good one. So I mean, it was not it was nowhere near where we wanted to be. Um, I think we had you know I was kind of disappointed, and you know sometimes you always as you start to get going, you sometimes start to believe you know your own hype, and I think that we wanted to build the next Nike. Yeah, and I. I'm sure I made some mistakes along the way. There were things that I wanted to do different. There are things that I, I, I probably should have done different. Um, we, it just, it was just so much, you know, going on. We had never built a clothing company before. There was no blueprint for this. And I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I, as we started to grow in clothing, the difference between it's a really, really hard business because people will wake up one day and just decide, oh, that's not the clothing they want anymore. They want the next thing. And I think we dealt with that a little bit as it started to grow after the, after the crash of 2008, people started to get away from, we were kind of known for our big prints. We had big tap out logos and, um, 
we, you know, it was a hard experience all of a sudden having a lot of pushback in, in the design area where people were, um, you know, pushing back because they didn't want to wear that type of stuff anymore. But yet the stores still wanted it because they felt like that it was what was selling. But we're like, this is changing. We could feel it on our side that this is changing right now. And they didn't want to be a part of fixing it, you know, didn't want to be a part of the solution. They just wanted to keep buying what was already out there. And then when it ended one day, they just kind of wanted to not do it anymore. So we, you know, there were some things that happened out there in the retail space that became hard. Um, we're still great business. I mean, our 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 uh, drink business is still out there doing, you know, uh, you know, nine figure sales uh, every year. You know, just in the drink business, just drinks. You know, so Crazy. we built an amazing business that I think will we're very. You know, I'm very proud of. Um, I know my partner smiling down still. You know, he. I think that we will always be remembered because we were there at the beginning of the U of the UFC, you know, nearly the beginning of the UFC during the explosion of the UFC. If you ever look back and tell the story, you have to tell the story of tap out too. tap out was there. Tap out was a part of that growth and in, in the early years. And, uh, you know, we're proud of that. We're proud that we did our TV show. Um, like I said, amazing experiences of, you know, having dinner with Jay-Z, having, you know, sitting down with uh, people that, you know, that, you know, Mark Wahlberg or, you know, all these different people that we met through over the building our businesses, these amazing businessmen um, being signed to CAA, all these experiences were just um, life-changing. And I wouldn't be here talking to you right now, you know, it all wouldn't have played out the way it did. Yeah, dude, that's uh, it, it's such a such an amazing uh, story, such an amazing experience. So, question for you: Any regrets in selling the business? Would you do it again? Would you do it in the same timeline? What What would you dif do differently? Um, you know, I wish. Unfortunately, I think at that time I needed to sell the business between wanting to. You know, it was just I just did not have. I didn't want to get up every day and deal with it, you know, be the guy that everybody was looking at. Um, and I'd been going through that for a while uh, after my partner passed away. And I initially got excited at first about, well, not excited because I was still dealing with that, my partner passing, but I was like thinking that, you know, I want to keep this alive for him. I want him to, you know, I want, I want his, I want to keep his name around. You know, we talked to the Fertitas about um, and Dana about getting his name in the ring, and they left. They decided they were gonna. They said, as long as we own the company, as long as uh, we still own this brand, Charles's name will be in this ring. And they inducted him into the Hall of Fame. All that stuff was amazing and great. That's awesome, um, and it felt satisfying. But at the end of the day, I just didn't feel like getting up and doing it anymore. And so taking kind of a back seat because I stayed on as president for the next five years. Um, taking a back seat felt like the right thing to do, even though I felt like, you know, so many things could have been done different during that time. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, we didn't get the position for the UFC, you know, as the main sponsor anymore. Um, and uh, we were changing stores and a lot of stores didn't work out. So we were in different stores and it was just a lot of things that didn't happen the way I wanted them to go down. And it became difficult. So I left in 2015 and 
you know, I felt so good about the experience. I mean, of course I wish it would have kept going in a, in a way, in a positive way, but I felt like we built something pretty amazing and, um, and I'm glad to move on and keep, you know, I want to build the next amazing thing. That's what I'm looking down to, to do now. I'm, I yeah. love being with my family. I love we're, you know, um, just, I just, it's just a different part of my life. And I love how life takes you into these different transitions and you go through these different moments at the right time in life. I think that's God proposed. You know, I think God takes you through different parts of your life and puts you in those places at the right time of your life and um, in, in, in challenges that you can overcome and, and, and experiences that you can either, you know, let go by the wayside or you can live up to that and, and build something great. Man, I, I think uh, I think it's so awesome what you were able to experience. I mean, exiting a, a nine-figure business, like that's what so many entrepreneurs dream of. And I mean, most, at least, at least myself, I don't ever view myself as like being a part of a company until the day I die, right? I'm, I'm looking at building value, being able to extract some value by selling off the business or, or whatever it may be. And so like the fact that you were able to experience that, that's something that very, very, very few people will ever be able to accomplish in their lifetime. And, uh, you know, obviously you've been able to, to build upon that. You got some really cool things going on. Uh, do share with us, like, what, what do you, what do you got going on right now? So I, I know that you're, you're involved in another clothing brand. Is that right? Um, no, <laughs> not right now. Clothing brand. Oh man, yeah, I, probably called so it wrong. I'm actually um so uh I I can't talk about my other um I'm consulting for a big company right now that I'm really excited about but I can't talk about it right now um just because of some of the things that are going on but it's we're about to make some big announcements and and it's gonna be pretty exciting so I can't wait for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I wish I could talk to you about it right now, but I can't. Um, the biggest thing that I'm excited about, um, and that's and that stuff's big, but that's not my full-time thing. And really what my full-time thing is right now, um, I'm excited about starting my podcast with, or restarting our podcast because we gave up on doing our podcast a, uh, a, couple, a year ago. Um, and we felt like we were doing so many good things. And then life kind of took us in a di different direction. And um, my, unfortunately, my wife's mother passed away and um, we were going through some other stuff. My, my daughter had caught the C word. And, uh, and so we were dealing with that and we were traveling and it just felt like so much was going on. And we, we put it aside for a second, you know, and it's like, the one thing that, you know, sometimes you don't drink your own juice, you know, like we know, I know what would have kept that going is if we would just push through and found a way to keep continuing it, we'd probably be in a different place right now. But um, we decided we really wanted to go back and do it because it felt really fulfilling just doing this type of thing with our kids. Awesome. And, you know, our kids been speaking on stages and, and, and doing some amazing stuff. And we want him to see us doing this. And he's on the podcast with us too, our, and our daughter. Um, and so uh, we just want our kids to see us doing that together so that we kind of, you know, kids really learn through watching. They don't learn. No, they'll never learn through what you tell them to do. Amen. They always learn through seeing you do it. And I, my, my youngest ones, I have older kids too, three older kids, but my youngest, my two young ones, they, they never, they don't remember tap out because they're born way, way after that. So 
they, I want them to see us building this business again. I want them to see us go through this. I want them to see what we have to do and the, the things, you know, the struggles, the, the putting yourselves in a position where you're uncomfortable. You know, I'm not always uncomfortable. I'm not always comfortable speaking or uh, being in front of crowds or, uh, or, or audiences or interviewing some, you know, people that I consider um, people, my mentors, people that I look up to. Um, that's hard for me to do sometimes. And, uh, but I think we do a pretty good job and I love having my kids on the podcast and I love them seeing what we're doing. I love watching them grow. And, uh, and right now that's, what's exciting me. So we have the pretty punk, the pretty and punk. We just changed it a little bit. The pretty and punk business parent podcast, which is about, you know, seeing the struggle kind of struggles of founders, but you know, the struggles of people building businesses while also raising kids. And uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And you go through a lot while you're doing it and it's challenging, but it's worth it. And it's, uh, it can be really fulfilling in the way that you're for your kids, them seeing what you're doing, because again, they're going to learn by watching. I love that. You know, as a, as a father of five myself, you know, that's like the most important thing to me in the world is, is my kids, my, my wife and how I'm teaching them, you know, and, and to your point, they rarely listen to the words I say, but they almost always mimic my actions. And so uh, that's that's always cool because I think I do a pretty good job in my actions and I screw up my words a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's 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 good. Um, dude, so cool. So a couple things, social media, where's, where's a good place that people can follow you? Um, at Tap Out Punk Dash, <laughs> I still use that handle. Love I just it. never changed it. I figured it's what people know me by. They used to call me punk asses, you know, when I was running tap out and it's tattooed on my lip. So, uh, you know, at tap out punk ass on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And uh, I don't dance on TikTok, but I happen to be on there for just business pur- purposes only. And then, of course, our YouTube, you can find us at Pretty and Punk, uh, Pretty and Punk Business family empire pretty that's, punk that's, business family empire. love it love it so yeah be, be sure to to follow you hey no judgment on tiktok i, I think tiktok's <laughs> i think tiktok's one of the coolest uh phenomenons of our of our time and it's actually one of the only social media platforms where freedom of speech still exists it's like twitter and in TikTok, and it's funny because it's owned by a, a Chinese company, and and here we are trying to shut it down. And I think we're probably trying to shut it down more because of freedom of speech. They want they want to shut us up, but uh, yeah, you know. So I, I I love TikTok. Great great spot. Um, couple couple other things. So uh, number one habit that like you or one or two habits that just drastically change your day, change your life, whether it's fitness or what what are what are some of your favorite habits oh man um you know some of the habits i wish i had i was better at um you know uh one of the things i do i i i I, honestly i think it's the one thing that keeps me grounded and i actually started off for my kids but you know i i consider myself um uh you know a a church-going uh god-loving father but I wasn't, you know, in a lot of ways, I wasn't praying 
like I probably should. And I get up every morning now and I pray with my kids. So awesome. that, I think that's probably one of the best habits I have. And then I have, uh, when I go through my kids, Ooh. see, I get stupid emotional over stuff like this. So great. I love it. Do, More emotion, um, the better. Oh man. I, uh, so, uh, affirmations with my, with my kids in the morning, my, my wife actually started that, which is, you know, all the credit to her for that. Um, but can I, you, I, give me two of the affirmations that you guys say. Um, we just, uh, we say, I'm, you know, I have our kids say, they'll, they'll say it and then we'll repeat after them. Sometimes we'll do our own too, but, um, they'll say I'm powerful awesome. and we'll say it and they'll say, I can do anything through God. And, and then I'll, and then we'll say it and then they'll say, you know, I'm going to change the world. And they, they so we make them do 10 affirmations in the morning and uh a few at night and uh, they do a lot of quotes and stuff throughout the day my son loves to do quotes so if you go to his instagram uh daniel david Inc., you'll see all all his quotes that he does and his speeches and stuff which how old is he he's six. Oh, that's so cool good 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 for him what uh so favorite favorite book favorite author you know uh favorite favorite series you know fiction nonfiction. what is it um, well, I mean, of course, Star Wars, but no, I won't say that because nobody will get nothing from that. Um, honestly, the one book I, I honestly feel like changed, built our business. If I had to give credit to something outside of, you know, ourselves and God, I have to say that the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie changed everything everything about the way we dealt with people and it made it built our business i know there's no way i mean there was a in in on september 11 2001 when those planes were crashing into those buildings in new york and that horrible thing was happening we were sitting in a conference room with two billionaires frank fertita and lorenzo fertita and dana white and we're talking about how tap out is going to be a part of the UFC as long as they own it. That we that they will always that we will always have a place in the UFC. We don't get into conversations with people like that unless you have some understanding of how to speak to people in the right way and how to you know how to deal with people and how to um, you know, just have those conversations and how to win friends and influence people. And it's not about, it's about influence in a good way. It's about putting other people first. It's about dealing with people in a way that is selfish, but unselfish. And it was just an incredible book. I've read it probably 30 times or so now. Um, listen to it. I have it on audio. I have the CDs. I have the tapes back in the day. I have, I have it in all forms. I have multiple books. I have signed books. Sorry. I sent you a signed book, didn't yeah. I? Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I, yeah, oh no, I sent you a, a different book. I sent you a different signed book, but yeah. yeah. But yes, but uh, The How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie is my favorite book of all time. So cool. So cool. Thanks for sharing uh, that with us. Um, so kind of last question. Uh, to to leave off on you know somebody somebody's feeling discouraged in life, uh, whether it's they're they're uh, wanting to take the next leap, whether it's into entrepreneurship, 
or they're feeling like giving up, what, uh, what words of advice do you have for them? Uh, I mean, we said it, be relentless and don't give up. I mean, that's the biggest, that, that's the only rules to success. I'm no, I mean, I was not, I was a D student when I graduated. I'm not the smartest tool in the shed. I'm a guy who just refuses to give up. Everybody in the room is always smarter than I am. I get into a room and I just like, I make sure it's that way. You know, I want to be surrounded by great people. I think that was part of tap out success. Um, but you got to know that if you just don't give up and that doesn't mean the same idea. Like, you know, I, some people confuse this for like, Hey, I have a great idea for this clothing company. Well, you know, down the road, you start, there's so many tell signs that this isn't going to work. And maybe you have to give up on that idea, but don't give up on yourself. Right. Be relentless about yourself. Decide that, Hey, that, didn't work. Maybe I have to pivot and it's going to be this instead. Be relentless. Don't give up. Don't listen to the naysayers and just keep moving forward. I know it sounds like, you know, like, um, you know, something somebody would tell you in a book that, but it's just so true. It's the reason why it's out there is because it's true that if you won't give up, if you don't give up, you will make it at some point. Love that. Appreciate your time today, Dan. I know it's valuable and and I know uh, with family and business and everything else that you have going on. So appreciate you sharing uh, some of your time with us today uh, and uh, excited to, to catch up with you in the future, my man. Uh, thank you for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. All right, my dude. Have a good one.